0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Five, four,
1: three, two, one, two,
0: ignition.
1: Major Garrett, yes, CBS. Yes, hi.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett from the nation's capital. Major. Fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Thank you.
2: Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this program known as The Takeout. And yes, once again, for now 10 months running, welcome to my dining room, where I do this show because we are still in pandemic, if not lockdown situations, we are being extra careful. We don't take the show where we had for three and a half years to restaurants because it's just not safe. They don't want us there and we don't want to set a bad example. So we have a special guest this week who has been a newsmaker for many, many months. He has been a subject of intense Republican and conservative and conspiratorial criticism throughout that time. He is regarded as a hero on the left part of the spectrum in our politics. His name is Adam Schiff. He is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Democrat from the 20th District of California, and as a native Californian, I care about these things. So the 28th District, West Hollywood, Glendale, parts of Pasadena, and Burbank, if I have that right. Mr. Chairman, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for being here. Thank
3: you. Uh, you certainly do, and, and many other surrounding communities as well. Good to be with you.
2: So I'm going to ask you a question that's very big and topical here in Washington this week. It will sound like a softball to you. I don't mean it to be because I think there is a very serious underpinning to it. Is the Republican Party in danger of becoming, or has it already become the party of QAnon? Uh,
3: You know, sadly, it has already become essentially a cult, uh, not just of QAnon, uh, but a whole range of conspiracy theories orbiting around uh, Donald Trump, um, which of course uh, is a disaster not only for the Republican Party, but it's a disaster for the country. We really rely on two functional parties for our system to work. And right now, We don't have that Uh, in the House of Representatives in particular. uh, The the GOP is entwined around QAnon conspiracy theories, around uh, repetitive lies from the now former president of the United States. Uh, The spectacle that we saw within the last week of Kevin McCarthy going down to Mar-a-Lago to uh, debase himself once again um, before someone who incited a mob to attack the Capitol shows you where the GOP is. Uh, And until they're able to extricate themselves from this lunatic fringe, uh, until they're able to extricate themselves also from the person of Donald Trump, there's not much hope for that party, tragically.
2: There are many people who listen to this program, Congressman Schiff, uh, 75 radio stations around the country who live in rural parts of America who might be barking at their radios or yelling at their radios right now. But the Democratic Party, they would say, is the party of another cult, socialism, Black Lives Matter, communists, communist, etc. Address that.
3: Well, this is the, the argument that Donald Trump falsely made uh, during the presidential cycle. Uh, but if you look at what the Democratic Party stands for and who the standard bearer of our party is, uh, it's Joe Biden. Uh, and as Joe Biden successfully uh, made the case of the American people, uh, he is not trying to advance socialism. He is not trying to defund the police. Uh, these are red herring attacks uh, on him. But if you look at the standard bearer of the GOP, uh, Donald Trump embraces uh, the, these QAnon conspiracy theorists. Uh, he was happy to invite uh, a whole range of violent individuals to come to Washington, D.C. and provoke them into attacking the Capitol. Uh, What he had to say about white nationalist groups like Proud Boys, we all remember, you know, stand back and stand by. Uh, So you do have one party and its leadership openly embracing that kind of white nationalism, uh, as well as uh, crazy conspiracy theories. Uh, And in the Democratic Party, we have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, advancing an agenda of relief for families uh, suffering in this economy, uh, pushing out and accelerating vaccines. That's really the choice between those two agendas and those two ideologies.
2: As you well know, I spent a lot of time and many years covering Congress, and I don't remember majority parties getting themselves into the business of what the minority party does with its members on various committees. But the Democratic majority is going to do that this week. It's going to vote on whether Marjorie Taylor Greene First-termer from North Georgia District can sit on the Education and Labor Committee. Typically, that's left to the parties to handle themselves. Republicans couldn't resolve that. Why is it necessary for the Democratic Party to get involved in something historically the majority party running the House of Representatives has avoided or not gotten involved in?
3: Well, historically, when there have been extreme uh, 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 offenses against the body and the ethics of the body, members have been expelled in the past.
2: Yes, expelled or censured. Yes, that's true. Um, Here, uh, we have
3: a member who has advocated violence Uh, against other members of Congress, uh, who has uh, heckled survivors of gun violence, student survivors of gun violence, have made uh, false claims about uh, some kind of a Jewish space laser conspiracy to set wildfires. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And this is someone uh, who Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, believes belongs on the Education Committee. Uh, Well, that brings the whole house into ill repute. Uh, it makes a mockery of the Congress. Uh, and, and so I think, frankly, the minimum response here uh, is to uh, strip her of that committee assignment. Uh, the Congress of the United States just can't be on record uh, in any way endorsing uh, someone like that for that important position. Uh, the Republican Party in the past has shown uh, at least a somewhat greater level of responsibility in booting Steve King, for example, off of his committee for questioning whether white nationalism was a bad thing or why people were were, uh, um, critical of it Uh, the, the offenses here of this member are far worse than than what we saw with steve king
2: and yet kevin mccarthy says most of that was said before she was a member of congress therefore it doesn't apply and if we judged every member sitting in the congress now by what they said before they got into the body We would be running a lot of them off committees. Your response? Well,
3: I I don't think we'd be running a lot of members off committees uh, for advocating that other members of Congress be killed. Uh, I think that uh, Representative Green is in a unique category in that regard. Uh, If there are other Republican members that have advocated the same thing, I will advocate that they be stripped of their committee assignments. Uh, So, uh, you know, look, Mr. McCarthy uh, has shown um, nothing more than a willingness to uh, tie himself into knots to placate that QAnon wing of his party now uh, and to uh, meet every whim and dictate of Donald Trump. Uh, so I understand why he's making the argument, but if you look at where Mr. McCarthy has been in the immediate aftermath of the, the tragedy on January 6th, he was critical of the president and then a couple of days later, he was uh, exonerating the president. Um, this is not someone I think that we can count on for any kind of moral leadership.
2: In a statement released under the letterhead of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi yesterday, Kevin McCarthy was designated R-Q. That's where the party affiliation usually goes. Instead of Republican, it said R-Q. Cheap shot? No,
3: I think it's all all too accurate a description of where he's coming from. Uh, He, uh, like uh, the, the former president, is all too willing to embrace this dangerous, conspiracy nonsense. Uh, and uh, and I, I think that's not just a problem for the GOP and Kevin McCarthy, it's a problem for the whole country, uh, that a political party is uh, essentially hospitable to these dangerous and crazy conspiracy theories.
2: Does the Democratic Party have anything to do in terms of its approach to this issue to maybe take down the temperature that could be a remedy? Because that's what Republicans say might help.
3: Well, look, I think that the president has done everything he possibly can uh, to emphasize the need for the country to come together uh, and to promote unity. Uh, My GOP colleagues seem to think that unity means that we need to go along with everything the Republicans want. Uh, That's not how I define unity. And I I certainly wouldn't define unity that we have to accept uh, QAnon uh, as a permanent fixture within the Congress. I think that's just dangerous. Uh, but I do think that the vice president is making every effort uh, to put out his hand and work with the other side. Uh, we'll see whether it's reciprocated. Uh, the, you know, the, the immediate priority for all of us uh, is to get relief out to families, uh, to get vaccine, vaccines into people's arms, to get life back to normal. Uh, that's where our priority is. And we invite the Republicans to work with us. Um, but when, when they're so out on the fringe uh, of course, that becomes very difficult.
2: More off with our conversation with Congressman Adam Schiff, Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. On the other side of this break, I'm Major Garrett. You're listening to and thoroughly enjoying the Takeout.
3: It's 3 o'clock somewhere. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you.
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett.
2: Welcome back. California Democratic Congressman and Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, is our special guest. So, Congressman, uh, if I don't ask you these questions, all my political reporter friends are going to beat my brains in metaphorically. So, how badly do you want to be the next Attorney General of California? Uh, Well, I don't want to
3: get you in trouble with your your political reporter colleagues. (laughs) I'm really not commenting uh, on that. I think the governor's got his hands full trying to night and day fight this pandemic and get people vaccinated uh, and back to work. Uh, I'm trying to do exactly the same thing. Uh, I don't think he needs people out publicly campaigning uh, on that right now.
2: It has been said you are lobbying for it and Speaker Pelosi is in favor of it. Is that true? I'm really not uh, commenting
3: on it, but
2: I do appreciate the questions. (laughs) Would you turn it down if offered?
3: (laughs) I'm still not going to comment, uh, but but you're making a valiant effort, I must say.
2: Um, Let me ask you about things that have been said this week by one of President Trump's attorneys who will appear on his behalf in the Senate impeachment trial next week. His name is Bruce Castor, and he gave a radio interview to a CBS affiliate, uh, KYW, I believe is the uh, call letters, and... I want to first play a soundbite, Jamie. This is the one I indicated to you first, basically saying that the Senate has no business conducting an impeachment trial of a president who's no longer in office. I want you to listen to it and then get your response. Jamie, play that, please. The Senate doesn't have jurisdiction over a private citizen in an impeachment because the constitution
1: says that the only remedy for impeaching uh, a person is removal from office. And if that's the only remedy and, uh, President Trump no longer holds office, then the entire proceeding is a legal nullity because uh, it can't happen. It could be almost the equivalent of the president having died. They can't remove him from office because he simply is unable to be removed because
2: he's not there. Your response, Congressman?
3: Well, if that's going to be their defense, the, the president is in even bigger trouble than, than I might have thought. Um, he needs to read the Constitution. Uh, it is not the only remedy. There are two remedies there's removal and there's also disqualification so he needs to read the constitution a little more carefully uh, but this isn't even a close constitutional question the history the text uh, our use of this provision since uh, and common sense all lead to the same conclusion which is you can try a, an impeached president after they have left office uh, and I say that because the British. Uh, probably the two most prominent impeachments at the time that our founders were writing the constitution involved people who were former officials. Uh, So if the founders wanted to say, we're gonna depart from the British experience, they knew how to do it, and of course they didn't. Uh, And what they did say in the constitution is that there are two separate remedies. Uh, And they also said that the Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. Uh, so it is, it is clearly within the Senate's jurisdiction to do so. Uh, in our nation's history, we have impeached people and tried them after they left office like Secretary of War Belknap. So our experience since the constitution is written uh, also supports that conclusion. But Garrett, I think the most important point is frankly common sense, which is the, the, the greatest fear the founders had was that a president would try to instill themselves in office for life. Uh, become a king essentially. Uh, It would have been intolerable for them to believe that a president that sought to interfere in the peaceful transfer of power, which will always come at the end of their term. uh, If they succeeded, would become president for life. And if they failed, would somehow be beyond accountability. That would have been an intolerable idea to the founders. uh, And what's more, um, it would be a, a suicidal idea from our constitutional point of view, because then uh, any future president would have an incentive to try to defeat peaceful transfer because there would be no repercussion.
2: I also want to play you a soundbite in which this lawyer, Bruce Castor, who uh, in his earlier legal career was a district attorney in Montgomery County—that's a suburban county just outside of Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania—he said, "The president should not be blamed for what other people did." That's the general summary. I want you to hear his words directly and then respond.
1: At some point in this country, we have to recognize that people are responsible for their own actions and the and the, the president uh, deplores the violence at the Capitol, and uh, those people should be punished at, as um, aggressively as I would have done if I was the DA and they did it at the Montgomery County Courthouse. But uh, just because somebody gave a speech and, um, and, got, and people got excited, that, that doesn't mean that the speechmaker's fault. It's the people who got
3: excited and, and did what they know is wrong. Your response, Congressman Schiff? Well, I agree that uh, people are responsible for their own actions. It's precisely the president's actions and words uh, that are uh, at issue here. And it's not, of course, just January 6th that we're talking about. Uh, It's all the president's words, actions and lies leading up to the election. Uh, His acknowledgement that he wouldn't accept the results if he lost. Uh, His attack on the election itself, saying there were going to be millions of fraudulent ballots Uh, his lies after the election, his efforts to corrupt local elected officials into overturning legitimate results, his effort to corruptly uh, get the Secretary of State of Georgia uh, to find 11,780 votes out of thin air, culminating in January 6th, which the president recognized was his last ditch opportunity uh, to overturn the election. uh, When he incited that mob uh, to march and attack the Capitol, Uh, And of course, the president's reaction as that mob uh, was breaking windows and killing people um, was reportedly amusement and enjoyment, even though people around him, uh, he couldn't understand why they weren't deriving the same enjoyment out of the scene that they were witnessing. So it's precisely the president's dereliction of his duty, his breach of his constitutional responsibility that's at
2: issue here. And in that regard, Do you believe that that part of the story, what the president didn't do as this insurrection was happening, is as relevant or more relevant to the underlying impeachment article?
3: Well, I think it's extraordinarily relevant because this is what the president uh, anticipated. This is what he wanted. Uh, This is what he was uh, delighting in seeing. Uh, And when you look at his obligations under the Constitution, It is to faithfully execute his office, to faithfully execute the laws. And a president that sits idle while the Capitol is being attacked after his own instigation uh, is in complete uh, dereliction of those constitutional duties and responsibilities. Uh, If this isn't impeachable conduct, uh, it's hard to imagine what would be, Uh, so yes, The before, the during, and the after that attack are all very relevant.
2: And it seems to me, Congressman, there's also something that the country's got to wrap its head around, that there's this period of time separating the events. But when the president was impeached, that became a cudgel in front of his face about the remaining conduct, his remaining days in office. Do you not believe that to be true?
3: Well, I do think that the impeachment had the salutary effect in those remaining days in office of preventing the president from going on and committing uh, additional abuses. Uh, It certainly was clear that there were a lot more um, uh, corrupt pardons in the works. Uh, And I have have to imagine that his lawyers advised him against that because it would be evidence against him during the trial. So I do think that it had that positive impact, but frankly, um, the reason we moved with such alacrity in the House was that we felt He was a danger every day he remained in office and we were determined to do our part. Uh, I have to say uh, it's very difficult for Mitch McConnell to argue, having refused to take up the trial while he was in office, that now that he's out of office, there's some kind of a bar to taking up the trial. Uh, But clearly, the Constitution says otherwise.
2: That is the voice of Adam Schiff, our special guest. He is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Democrat from California. More of our conversation here on The Takeout in just a second.
0: CBS News. This is The Takeout with Major Garrett.
2: Welcome back. Adam Schiff, chairman of the House and Intelligence Committee. Committee, is our special guest. Uh, Congressman, I want to put a question to you. I put to your Democratic colleague Pramila Jayapal last week and Republican Adam Kinzinger the week before. When do the fences come down and along with it, the razor wire and the National Guard deployments from the United States Capitol and, and under what conditions? Well,
3: I think the the short answer, although it's not a very satisfactory one, is when the conditions allow it, when the security uh, concerns are ameliorated. uh, And I don't know how long that's going to take. It's a terrible tragedy uh, to drive to the Capitol uh, for the inauguration and see thousands and thousands of National Guard troops having to protect the government uh, and to see that those fences and razor wire Uh, It it looks like, and Major, you've had this experience too, when you go to Baghdad and you're in the green zone, uh, it looks a lot like that. And I never thought that would be necessary to protect our own government. Uh, And this gets back to where we started this conversation, which is when you flirt with dangerous conspiracy theories like QAnon, you get results like we saw uh, on the mall January 6th, uh, and you, you need to establish barricades around your government. And That's why this needs to be repudiated Uh, for McCarthy to say, as he did uh, today or yesterday, oh, he's not even sure what QAnon is. Uh, It reminds me of when the president's feigned ignorance about what the Proud Boys were all about. Uh, You know, we're gonna have to confront this dangerous uh, escalation of of rhetoric and ideology uh, if those fences are to come down.
2: So, Congressman, I have another podcast, a documentary podcast I do every week called The Debrief. And last week we did uh, part one of two parts on disinformation. And QAnon is part of both of those conversations, quite obviously. And one of the things we learned is January 6th was a big date. Then January 20th was supposed to be a date where QAnoners thought the president, meaning Trump, was going to walk out of the rotunda, engage in mass arrests, impose martial law and stay for a second term. And when that didn't happen, Then another date has now been floated and has risen to the surface of the conspiratorial um, chat rooms. And that is March 4th, the old inauguration day we had before the 20th Amendment moved it in uh, 1933. So is March 4th, we can't move the fences or the razor wire or the troops until at least we get past that? Is that the next date we have to worry about?
3: Sadly, there will always be a next date. Uh, And Major, I'm sure you've wrestled with this which is you can't ignore these dangerous conspiracy theories. Um, but we all have to uh, come to grips with trying not to amplify them at the same time. Uh, and I think the reality is that uh, conspiracy theories like QAnon are endlessly versatile. Uh, they're like a virus. Uh, and with every, uh, every time facts confront the conspiracy theory, as they did on January 20th, the conspiracy theory evolves an explanation, an uh, even deeper conspiracy uh, for why this was all part of the plan all along, uh, and, and so you see these effort, uh, you know this endless repetition and permutation. Um, the only way I think we get beyond that uh, is if we have elected leaders who are willing to speak the truth about these things uh, and not uh, try to curry favor with the, with adherents. Uh, in in the narrow, uh, short-term, and destructive political interests they
2: believe of their party. Uh, Just for the audience's benefit, radio, television, and podcasts, the sound you just heard is a call to a vote, and we're going to keep moving along, and we hope Adam Schiff can stay with us through that, but that's what you heard, that's the sound. So, Congressman, you have experience with uh, QAnon uh, conspiracy theories, uh, threats, real and imagined. Uh, There was also on, uh, I believe it was, Christmas Eve, a thread on the conspiracy websites that you had been arrested at Los Angeles International Airport was there not?
3: Yes, there was, uh, and you know I would get inquiries from family or friends, other places. You know, what's this all about? Uh, and have to explain to them this is just a crazy conspiracy theory. Um, you know, one of the things that that is very difficult about this environment where fear and lies and loathing travel uh, so swiftly uh, with with the power of virality online uh, is that uh, you're constantly like whack-a-mole putting down these false and pernicious stories. Sometimes they're very dangerous. Uh, Sometimes people act on them. Sometimes people take a gun and go to the basement or try to look for a basement in a pizza parlor because they've read about uh, some child sex predator ring uh, associated. uh, And you know, people get hurt uh, as a result, uh, as we saw so tragically on January 6th. So, uh, you know, at one level, it seems some of them are so bizarre, like Jewish laser beams from space starting wildfires. Uh, at another though, there, there is a common denominator often of anti-Semitism, racism, uh,
2: and, and pernicious myth that, that is no laughing matter. And as a result of what you just said, some 30 members of the House have asked for special permission to reallocate some of their annual office budget for their own personal security when they go back to their home districts. This is a real thing. Absolutely.
3: Um, I don't think you can find a member of Congress anymore that doesn't have serious concerns about their safety. Uh, Now, I've I've had to live with that uh, for more than the last four years now. Uh, being a, a target of President Trump's uh, angry tweets and claims of treason uh, and all the rest of that. Um, but uh, I could tell you there's no getting used to it. Uh, you just have to endure it. Uh, and, uh, and I think particularly after January 6th, there's a, a much greater sense of concern, alarm and awareness among all the members.
2: Is that an acceptable price of public service, in your opinion?
3: Well, you know, these days, it comes with the territory. Uh, is it acceptable? No. Um, uh, is it the foreseeable consequence of the kind of uh, incendiary bombast that we've heard from people like Donald Trump for four years uh, that is, you know, frankly, uh, often echoed uh, on prime time by uh, networks that should know better? Um, that's what happens. Uh, and, and people can't be blind to the consequences of their words and actions.
2: Speaking of that, there are, as you know, many Republicans who take great issue and offense at something you said March 22nd, 2017, with Chuck Todd on MSNBC. And I'll quote some of it to you. I'm sure you remember pretty well. You said there was, quote, more than circumstantial evidence now, evidence that is not circumstantial and is very much worthy of investigation. This all regarding the charge hanging in the air back at that time, 2017, that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. And your words, more than circumstantial evidence, it's not circumstantial, very much worth investigating, has led many Republicans to say you told the public there was something that, in fact, when the Mueller report was done and filed, there wasn't. Do you have any regret over those words, and do you wish you had been more precise in them?
3: No, my words were precise and they were accurate, uh, but uh, I, you know, I give Trump credit for repeating the falsehood, no collusion, uh, no obstruction so often that he's persuaded a lot of people it's true. But just look at the the facts major, and this is what I was referring to, and it is more than circumstantial. The Russian government uh, in writing offered dirt to the Trump campaign on Hillary Clinton uh, in emails sent to the president's own son. Uh, They described that dirt and that effort as part of the Russian government's effort to help the Trump campaign. And Don Jr's answer was, if it's what you say it is, I would love it. Uh, The best time would be in summer, Uh, And the president's son arranged a secret meeting in Trump Tower with the son-in-law and the campaign chairman to receive that help from the Russian government. And then they lied about it. Um, That is direct evidence of certainly an intent to collude with the Russians. Uh, The only disappointment was the dirt they got wasn't better. But there are a lot of other examples, Major. Uh, For example, uh, at a time when Russia was actively interfering in our election with a social media campaign, to help uh, Donald Trump, uh, his campaign manager, Paul Manafort, was meeting with an agent of the Kremlin named Konstantin Kalimnik and giving that agent internal campaign polling data. Now, if the facts were reversed and the Clinton campaign were giving internal polling data to an agent of the Kremlin while the Kremlin was helping their campaign, every Republican in the country would say that was collusion. And you know something, they would be right. Uh, but it's collusion, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. In this case, it was Donald Trump and his family and his campaign chairman. Um, and so uh, I think the evidence that came out in the Mueller report uh, documenting that, which was also the findings of our committee, uh, more than uh,
2: substantiate uh, what I was saying. That's the voice of Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee and our special guest back for segment four of The Takeout in just a second.
3: <laughs>
0: From CBS News, this is the Takeout with Major Garrett.
2: Adam Schiff is our special guest. He is chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. He is also Democratic Congresswoman from the great Congressman, rather from the great state of California, my home state. Um, so let's talk about policy here and now. Uh, do you want Congressman the Biden White House to pursue and cut a deal with Senate Republicans, or do you want to use the majority that the Democrats possess in the House and the Senate? narrow though it is, to push the entire package as originally proposed by the president through via a budget term and process known as reconciliation?
3: Well, look, I would love uh, to see us get to a bipartisan agreement, uh, if it is one big enough to meet the needs of the country, but I'm deeply skeptical that that's what uh, the GOP in Congress wants to do. Um, I think that the danger here is far greater that we do too little then we do too much. Uh, and if, if my GOP colleagues aren't willing uh, to go big in the way we have to when so many millions of families are struggling, uh, then we need to go it alone, go without them and use reconciliation. Uh, so I, I have to say, I, I think the efforts are worthwhile that the president is making. Uh, I don't think the Republicans are prepared to do what's necessary. Uh, and if they're not, uh, then I think uh, it's our responsibility as the governing party To make sure that people can put bread on the table, that they can get vaccinated, that can keep their families safe. Uh, And and to me, that means
2: uh, we need to go big. And I would imagine you would also say go fast. So when do you know if you see it, that is to say bipartisanship that is genuine? And how much longer are you, though I know it's not your decision, how much longer do you think the president should be prepared to wait?
3: I don't think the president should wait long. Um, It will be clear, I think, very soon just how serious or unserious Republicans are about getting to yes. Uh, And if they're not, we need to move because as you point out, uh, it is urgent. Uh, Unemployment uh, uh, will run out on millions of Americans if we fail to act. Uh, And the reality is we all understand much as we wish we didn't, this pandemic isn't gonna be over tomorrow. It's not gonna be over in a week or a month. Uh, And families are gonna be struggling for some time. We can get through this, but uh, we can't get through this by not meeting the needs of our, our country. And you know, one final point that I have to say is, is always in the back of my head when we talk about this particular issue of can we afford to, to do it? And that is you know, a couple years ago, these same Republican members were saying we could afford a $2.2 trillion tax cut for very wealthy families and large corporations. Uh, these same members who are now saying we can't afford to spend more on unemployment compensation or helping renters pay their rent uh, and and at, at root, this is a debate over values. Uh, and if the if the gap between uh, the values is too great, uh, we need to, I think, make sure that our budget uh, and the relief package reflects our values.
2: And I know Democrats uh, take great issue with the 2017 Trump tax cut, but they also did cut rates uh, in federal income tax brackets for the middle class. And I've not heard anyone advocate raising those rates above back to where they were before the Trump tax cut. So we should just put that on the table as clarification. Um, You said soon. President is probably going to give an economic address to Congress. Do you know when that's going to be? And do you think that's the date upon which all this should be decided? Uh, You know, I I don't know uh, when he will give that kind of... Probably Mm mid-February sometime is is my guess.
3: Well, I think by mid-February, we'll have a sense of whether uh, my GOP colleagues are really serious um, or whether they, they, uh, they think that this can be nickel and dimed. Um, so I think we should know by then. Uh, but uh, again, uh, you know, as much as I would like to see us come to a common agreement here, I'm very skeptical. When I look back at the experience in 2009, uh, when the country was in similarly dire economic straits, at the end of the day, I think only about three Republicans supported that uh, relief package. Uh, and so uh, we may uh, end up um, in the same kind of situation where uh, a number of the the GOP leadership decide their their political instincts are to stop the president from succeeding. Um, that that I think was the strategy with Barack Obama, and it's a very destructive one for the country. But it wouldn't be unprecedented for the GOP leadership to take that position again.
2: So what happened in California when over December and January, the numbers just went through the roof and California became a case study in this pandemic, ripping through communities, hospitals, creating massive stresses in intensive care units and incredibly high death rates?
3: Well, I think a few things happened. Uh, The first was we had uh, really terrible leadership Uh, in the Oval Office uh, that was sending out mixed messages about whether people should wear masks uh, and making masks a partisan issue. Uh, Masks at that time uh, were the best defense against the virus. Uh, But we also have a a unique situation in California, uh, and this is particularly true in my part of the state, in Southern California, where we have some of the most dense um, living accommodations anywhere. Uh, and, uh, And when the virus... Uh, gets into uh, communities where people are living very close to each other because they can't afford not to. Uh, And a lot of the the folks are essential workers and being exposed at work. They're bringing the virus back home to them, uh, their families, and it spreads like wildfire, which is what happened. Um, Now, we're obviously making every effort uh, to combat that. And we have two powerful tools to do it. But uh, those tools were severely undercut by, by the prior uh, administration, those tools, of course, being masks and, and vaccines. Uh, but I, I have every confidence that uh, the Biden administration now is, is rolling the, the vaccines out as soon as possible. Uh, at the state level, the governor's working as hard as possible to make sure those get into arms ASAP so that we can get our schools open and our businesses open and get back to the, the life we once enjoyed.
2: Now, you mentioned uh, mixed messages sent from the Oval Office, but there are many Californians and there's a recall petition for Governor Newsom right now that, according to the polls, has more than a little bit of steam behind it that believe he was kind of a hypocrite, saying things about behavior and lockdowns while doing other things in his personal life that flagrantly ran against that very advice, if not dictates. Did there... Did the governor blow things in terms of consistency of messaging and not only imperil himself politically, but send bad messages to Californians?
3: I think the governor has uh, worked night and day uh, to defeat this virus. He's got an enormous responsibility on his shoulders. uh, And I think that the policies he's put in place will get California through this. The recall petition, in my view, is nothing but a hard right effort to try to unseat a Democratic governor that they can't beat in a one-on-one election. Uh, It's not the first time we've seen this in California. The Republicans have become such a marginalized uh, party in the state, they can't win general elections anymore. Uh, And the only hope they believe uh, of winning an election is if they can have a recall petition. Um, But the worst, you know, the worst thing we could do right now when we all need to be working together to defeat the virus uh, is to engage in this political exercise of a recall petition. So it's a partisan thing. That's all it is by a group of people that can't beat this governor in a one-on-one race. Uh, and I have every confidence that uh, Governor Newsom is gonna get us through this. Uh, and we ought to be working with him, not against him because you know, a time when people are, are dying uh, and businesses are struggling, this is a time to come together and work with the governor and not, uh, not try these political tactics.
2: That is the voice of Adam Schiff, Democratic congressman from the great state of California, my home state, and also chairman of the House Intelligence Committee for our radio audience. We have to say farewell, but for those of you on the podcast platform, stay tuned and CBSN for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. You've been joining the Takeout. We'll see you next week.
0: News. This is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Our special guest, Adam Schiff, House Intelligence Committee Chairman, Democrat from California in the United States House of Representatives. Uh, Congressman, I, before we get to the fun and games thing, I want to give you a chance to address something that you said as you wrapped up the president, that is to say, President Trump's first impeachment. You told the Senate, if you do not convict... Things will only get worse. There were those Senate Republicans who said publicly they were certain President Trump had learned a lesson. As you look back on that now and as you think about the trial to come, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, my thought is that uh, the situation we're in now was all too tragically predictable. Um, As we pointed out during the the last trial, um, we were not going to change who Donald Trump is. Uh, He is who he is. He would not be constrained uh, and if anything, uh, if they refuse to convict knowing his guilt um, and many acknowledge that we had proven him guilty, then we could expect this kind of conduct uh, to happen again, that he would try to cheat again. Uh, and tragically, that's, that's exactly what happened. Uh, I would hope we have learned that lesson now because if he is not disqualified uh, after conviction in this trial, then um, we can fully expect that if he runs in four years, He will once again try to cheat. He will lie about the election. He will incite and inflame public passions uh, and we risk another catastrophe.
2: So uh, I went back through your biography, uh, undergrad at Stanford, Harvard Law. Uh, You're a vegan and a triathlete, all true, correct? Correct. When was your last triathlon? Uh,
3: It was, I wanna say four or five years ago, I separated my shoulder, uh, which has put a real crimp uh in, in the <laughs> so swim portion. So uh, I, I either have to pick a pick a new sport or I'm gonna have to pick a new stroke.
2: Right. So I was a marathoner for a while, just a short while, three, but that's not insubstantial. And then I tried one triathlon and I was never much of a swimmer, even though I grew up in Southern California. Were you a swimmer first and then a triathlete? Because most really happy and successful triathletes were swimmers first.
3: I was a swimmer when I was in high school. Um, I, you know, I, I wasn't a great swimmer, but I was a competitive swimmer. Um, but uh, I probably was best uh, in the bike portion uh, of the three. Although I have to say, I enjoyed the swim portion of the race because it's such bedlam. Uh, you're getting kicked. You're having people <laughs> swim on top of you. It's <laughs> chaos if you're in the ocean and, and you are you have a poor sense of direction like I do um, you're swimming a two-mile course instead of a one-mile course because you're zigzagging all over the place. Um, but I, but I, I have to say also, I don't particularly enjoy the swim training, uh, just doing lap after lap. Uh, I'd much rather be out running or out riding.
2: And when you were doing all that physical training, were you a vegan then
3: as well? Uh, that was in my pre-vegan days. Um, okay. So
2: I would be much faster, much leaner, much meaner if I were doing it now. Because the vegan uh, lifestyle really works for you.
3: Uh, It does. You know, I, I took it up for my health. Uh, My cholesterol is high uh, and I don't tolerate uh, those uh, anti-cholesterol medications. So I'd always been a pretty healthy eater. It wasn't that hard to give up eating meat. Um, But I do have occasional pangs uh, and I'll tell you, you know, I, uh, in all confidentiality, I do allow myself to occasionally cheat uh, like on Thanksgiving, but I have very narrow exceptions uh, so that I, I, Don't worry about them recurring too often.
2: So uh, give me a definition of a narrow exception. Well, during the last impeachment
3: trial, uh, there was nothing vegan for me to eat in the little ante room. Uh, So I had to dip into the non-vegan food, but I rationalized it by saying I will only uh, eat this during an impeachment of the president. Little did I know what a common occurrence that might become. And what was it that you ate? Well, it was barbecue, so it was about as bad a an exception as you could possibly make.
2: All right, got you. We have uh, three threshold questions we ask all of our guests. Our audience loves the answer. So, in no particular order, most influential book in your life, um, uh, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're going to, on that long flight back to California, indulge yourself musically, what kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to indulge in? Mm. Well, film would be To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, book. Could also be the book, too. A great book, yeah, phenomenal you know, movie. Yeah,
3: It a- absolutely could be the book as well. It's one of those very rare films that is as good as the book, and the book yep. is phenomenal. Um, in terms of books, I would probably go with Last Lion by William Manchester, uh, one of the great biographies of Winston Churchill. I'm a huge Winston Churchill fan. Uh, and in terms of music, uh, a very eclectic music tastes that vary from year to year but uh you know i think over the last several years i've had a heavy diet of pearl jam kings of leon throwbacks to billy joel and uh steely dan uh and uh, uh and and a
2: heavy dose of classical mixed in uh you said the magic words as far as i'm concerned steely dan <laughs> asia the best album one of the best albums ever recorded by a progressive rock group uh Congressman Adam Schiff, great to be with you. Thanks for all your time. Thanks for your candor. I appreciate it. We'll see you around Capitol Hill when I can. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you.
0: The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanen, Grace Seekers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio. If
2: you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.